Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, Jade, you're, uh, I know you're worried already because this morning you see that I have a mallet here. And uh, if you don't understand why, you might want to check out last Sunday's service where Jade got a little lippy and we had to rein him in. Fear no man. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But you should fear the God within the men because he's pretty mighty, right? I'm, t- I'm teasing. Jade is such a great guy, serves on our worship team, serves at our church. We love him. And Brittany both are the girls. They're a wonderful family. And it just happens that when you love people, you get to pick on them a little more, right? Because they know they're loved, so you pick on them some more. All right. Uh, let me swallow my gum. Yeah. I know, contrary to popular belief, it's not going to stay in my stomach for seven years, okay? It does not have the resurrection of power of Jesus in it. It, 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 I'm not going to say any more about that because I don't want to further agitate anything I said last week. All right. I'll leave that for another moment or two for some of you to catch up with. Uh, fact or fiction, uh, the title of today's message is JMNJ. I, I, I just decided this morning that's what it should be called, JMNJ, which stands for Just Me and Jesus. And um, you have, if you are a North American, doesn't matter your race, your gender, none of that matters. If you are North American, you have absolutely been exposed to a doctrinal ideology that says it's just me and Jesus, that the personal relationship with Jesus is the be-all, the end-all of the Christian faith. And, um, you know, uh, let me just start with an old hymn. And I have to say, it is a favorite hymn of mine. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. I, I sing it, I hum it, I play it on the piano at home, I play it on the guitar. I love this hymn. Uh, but when certain parts of doctrine become the whole of your doctrine, it can lead to serious problems in your relationship with Jesus and specifically other people. And so it actually does a disservice then to the whole body of Christ. So that old hymn is Just As I Am. And we have the lyrics of the first verse for you this morning. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And as thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Honestly, I have had many, over my life, I've had many moments in the presence of God. I have responded to altar calls with this song. I love that song. But this song points to, for my purposes today, a problem that I see in church. And that is when folks believe that it's all or only about my personal relationship with Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm just going to shoot straight at you today. Know that you're loved. <laughs> know, know that, know that I, I actually have laid my life down for the church. Trust me, I could do other things and, and have a much easier life. I could, I could actually get paid more for doing other things. Um, I wouldn't have to, I don't feel like I'd have to pray as much. I don't feel like I'd have to maintain such a great attitude. I don't feel like I'd have to obey as many traffic laws if I, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing. So know that I love you and I am counting the cost of what we say from the pulpit in this church. Um, but, but this is an issue. And it may offend you this morning, but I want to invite you to consider this. We don't come to church to examine the Word of God or to examine the message a preacher preaches. We actually come to church to be examined by the Word of God. And if you can tolerate this this morning, you actually come to church 
to be examined by the message that God is sharing through a pastor or teacher. And it happens in every church on the planet all throughout the week, but especially on Sundays. All right. So we have touched on this idea a couple of weeks ago. If you go back, you could refresh yourself, but I'll just remind you of it, uh, that we have talked about this before, that this ideology that it's just me and Jesus, that's all I need. It forsakes some of the corporate values, the we values of the body of Christ. And so um, it strikes me strange how, how backwards we get some things in our daily doctrine. And I, and I believe what I said in, the, in two messages past was something to the effect of, you know, we're all about it's my personal relationship with Jesus and Jesus loves me. But when it comes to our sin, all of a sudden it becomes our and we. And if you just think back, this happens all the time, right? Nobody ever comes to me and says, Pastor Travis, you have a problem with, with, with your church. It's Pastor Travis, we have a problem in our church, right? Because we're confronting something difficult and negative. But if it's your business, it's like, I am killing it with my business. I am making money. I am, right? So we have this funny relationship with I and we. And let's just be honest, we tend to use I a lot for victory and we a lot for things that need work. And that's saying it really nicely. Um, I have never, ever seen my children in the natural state or any human being in our natural state jump up and down to take full personal individual responsibility for anything. What happens in your home when there's a problem? Well, sibling turns against sibling within a moment, right? We say, who left the dishes out? Knowing full well it was Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> we set the trap. And the response usually was, not anymore, because he's mature now and he's wonderful. But, well, Logan, that was his response. But what is well, Logan? Who is well, Logan? <laughs> this is another person that doesn't even live in our house, right? Our tendency as human beings is to incorporate when it suits us, but then to stay solitary when it suits us. And let me just say, in North America especially, we play these cards very well, but we play it to a great deficit for our lives, both personally and corporately as the body of Christ. So, um, here, here's the problem. Too easily, just me and Jesus, JMNJ, becomes a way of thinking that allows us to cover the reality of our state it allows us to cover the reality of our issues, and especially just me and Jesus actually is used to cover the reality of our brokenness. This is how it's used in most cases, to hide and to isolate in our pain, in our fear, and our frustration. So, Pastor Trapp, why do we need to know about this fiction today? And it is a fiction that it is just me and Jesus. I want to lay the facts on you. See, we need to become aware of of this because it might just be the scheme of the devil that is being exercised, used, put to work right now in your life to keep you from everything God has for you, but even more importantly, to keep others from everything God has for them through you. Here's the fiction. Just me and Jesus, or I accepted Jesus and that's all I need. You might have heard it expressed in other ways like this. Well, you don't have to go to church to be saved or be a Christian. Okay, well, I understand that there's a technical truth in there, but that technical truth is very limited in its scope. And it's actually only going to dwell in your past, never in your present or your future. That's called stunted growth. That's called, that's called uh, potential unrealized. 
A future that will never be lived if we stay there. So right off the bat, uh, I accepted Jesus. That's all I need. Right off the bat, here's something I want you to think about it. He actually is the one who accepted you. First of all, with this fiction that I've accepted Jesus, that's all I need to do. Well, no, you may have acknowledged Jesus and what he's done for you, but make no mistake about it, he is the one who has done the accepting. Because let me just say it to you really straight. You actually have nothing that will benefit Jesus. Sorry. You don't possess possess enough money. You don't possess enough talent. You don't possess enough righteousness for sure to be able to be of a great benefit to him. So it's actually he who has accepted us more than it is the other way around. Now, Don't get too twisted up in knots about that because it is still true that there is an acceptance or maybe better said an acknowledgement of who he is, what he's done in our lives that is is absolutely and very personally important. But we'll get to that. Um, It is true, as I said, in this, this partial way that we accept Jesus, but we need to remember that when we say we are accepting Jesus... It's not so much that we're, again, accepting as acknowledging, but here's the reality. What we are actually acknowledging in that place we come to, more than anything, is his lordship. Now, this is where people stop talking about the benefit of Jesus. I mean, everybody wants a Savior. That's all fine and good. But a Lord? No, thank you. We're going to leave that part out. Make sure we don't preach on it because people might not want to stay in church. Well, not here. Um, If Jesus isn't your Lord, I would actually go as far to say to you is, I'm not too sure you've experienced the Jesus that can save. If you don't understand, if you can't embrace Jesus as Lord, I'm not too sure you have fully encountered the Jesus that also saves. Because he is not one or the other. He is absolutely in all that he is both and. And so we don't get to, we don't get to pick and choose. Which part of Jesus? I want the Savior part, but not the Lord part. That's not going to work very well for you. And it's not working very well for the church in North America specifically. Don't even, I won't even go here today, but just let me say, the present tribulation trials, the shaking that we are in as a church, I believe very really is a wake-up call to the people of God to renew our dependence on Him, to renew our devotion to Him, to renew our sacrifice to Him, because we have a kingdom that can't be shaken. The problem is, is we've been living in a kingdom that can be shaken. All our hope is not in Jesus. It's in a bunch of other stuff. Okay, I can't unpack it all in a half hour for you, so you're just going to have to, you know, take the big bites where you can. Um, All right, here we go. The miracle of Jesus' salvation for us is miraculous in that it gives us life, but what we need to remember is there's a connection to him and his lordship that continues that life in us. It's a little more complex than it can be if we live by a doctrine that says, well, it's just me and Jesus. That's not going to work long term. Um, Evangelists have often said things like this. If you were the only one, Jesus still would have died for you. Any church kid ever been to a youth rally where you heard that? Come on, don't be afraid. Put up your hands. Uh, we've all, if you're a church kid at all, if you grew up at all in church, anywhere, going to any kind of a youth conference, anywhere in your life, I promise you, at some point in time, the speaker said, hey man, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you. 
It kind of sounds like Bill Clinton, which is really weird. Um, right? It did kind of sound like Bill Clinton for a second there, didn't it? Uh, okay, he, 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 here's the thing. I will, I'll give it to you that, that I, th- I actually do, I believe that. But let me lay the fact on you. Jesus didn't die only for you. That's the fact. The fact is that Jesus didn't just die for one. He died for all. And the whole idea of one needs to take a backseat in this day and age to the idea of all, not because Christians are communists or socialists, but because Christianity is absolutely the real thing that the world is trying to counterfeit. You know, you, okay, let me, I'll just, I hate being political. Communism, socialism, the like, are a counterfeit of the unity that God desires for his people in this world. It is. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, read the book of Acts. Read the flippin' New Testament. They held all things in common. They came and laid all their money at the feet of the apostles. Again, understand, I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a spiritual statement pointing out the fact that man's utopia falls, falls, falls far short of the very simplest glories of God's revelation. It falls so short. I don't even, I can't even compare the two. It makes me, makes me feel sick. But it is a counterfeit and we need to embrace that. And we need to understand that just because there's a counterfeit out there, it doesn't mean that it subtracts from what is real. Um, Here's the truth for you this morning. The acceptance of Jesus is, therefore, the acceptance of his bride, his body, his church. Acceptance of Jesus, his lordship, the reality of all that he's done, salvation, the whole package is also the acceptance of the church, his bride, and his body. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, someone say as Lord, Lord. and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Okay? Plain and simple. Two components in Romans 10 9 to the process of salvation, to the beginning of salvation, that we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Now here's the thing that I want to point out in this is that that being a Christian actually does require an outward expression of the inward thing that is happening. Last week we talked about faith. Whose is faith? Faith belongs to God and only God. God gives us faith as we place our belief in Jesus and that gives that gives life and growth to a relationship with God that, that can't exist outside of the realm of his faith. But it is his to hold, it is his to think up, it is his to give freely as he does and as he has. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is a gift of God. Faith that is a gift of God. And so being a Christian is an outward expression of what God is doing on the inside. On the inside, God gives faith, and on the outside, something has to begin to change. And like we see in the book of Romans, there is the outward confession of the mouth, but it is coming because there is also a, 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 a real and authentic belief in the heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Being a Christian actually does require an outward expression of the inward thing God is doing when we are saved. 
How about the command to baptize, the command to do good works, the command to get together as the church, the instruction of being together all throughout the Bible. All these things are leveled to the believer for personal and corporate value, not just one or the other. And all of these fit under the title of the Lordship of Christ. When you read command in the Bible, guess what it means? That it's a command. There is no Greek word that we can find that says command means suggests. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's not there. That's not what you're going to find when you study. A command is a command. It's a directive. It's a very clear statement. It's not even a mandate or an order. It is a command, and it's divine in its nature. Therefore, it ought to be respected as something that is divine, and it ought to be adhered to as something that God said. Now, why does this matter for our conversation today? Well, too often, once again, we take the commands of God and we internalize, and then we use them to shield us from accountability to everything that He said. How does this look? Well, a pastor might ask someone to help or a leader in the church. Hey, can you help us out with this? Please understand what I'm saying this morning. There are many people in churches whose habitual response becomes, I'm just going through something right now. Understand what I'm saying. A habitual response is very different than a response in crisis. I want to be very clear on this. Because some of you are in crisis, and some of you are in conversation with us, and I would, I would never use this pulpit to manipulate you or to beat you over the head with a life situation that you're facing. That's not what we do. But let me be able to say then that if we have a habitual response of, well, I'm just focusing on me, something is out of alignment. Because, you see, it's not just about you. And even the processes of our grief and our loss and our pain are very much wanting to be used by God for the benefit of others who are in the same place. Hear me clearly. Know that you're loved. Know that you're valued this morning. What is a Lord, anyways? We're going to talk about the Lordship of Jesus for a moment. Well, a Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. That's what a Lord is. And so if Jesus is Lord, and that is a huge statement, make no mistake about it, then he is the someone having power, authority, or influence, that he is a master, he is a ruler, if he is my Lord, if he is our Lord. So if he is Lord, as we are to confess him according to Romans 10, 9, right? If you, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, the two parts, if he is Lord, as we make that confession in Romans 10, 9, then what is he Lord of? Well, the Bible actually has to say a lot about that. Uh, first of all, the process of salvation for the rest of our lives on earth, just so you know, are that process of answering the question. If he's Lord, what is he Lord of? Well, that's the whole point of salvation. And that's the whole point of our process 
of where we're going and the journey he's bringing us on. So the short answer is very simple. And I'll give it to you this way. The, the short answer is, he must be Lord of every part of me. Yeah. Every part. Not just this part, not just that part, but every part. Because in fact, he is Lord of everything. Yeah. Right? You've heard us say this in church before. It's really cute if you think that God only wants 10% of your money. God actually wants all of your financial trust. You're a steward of what God has given you, after all. God wants all of me. He wants all of you. He wants all of we. He wants this entire church, not just a part of this church. Let me just throw a slide up for you that contains a few of the what he's Lord of. And I, I can't, we could, we could be here all afternoon if I was actually to take this apart and show this all to you. But he is the Lord of rest in Matthew 12, 8. It says Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That, just so you know, that doesn't just mean that he's Lord of one day of the week. The Sabbath is what? The Sabbath is the day of rest. And what is the principle of rest? That God is a place of rest for his people. And so Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath is not a statement that says, well, Jesus is God of Saturday, or the Lord of Saturdays, or the Lord of Sundays. That's not what it's saying at all. In fact, it's saying he is the Lord of rest. So all that you need to do in this life to rest is to submit to his lordship over rest. I realize that's a gross simplification for some of you, but nonetheless, it's actually true. And I'm saying that to you as a person right now who is often going on two and three and maybe four hours of sleep a night. So the struggle is real, people. He's the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of the harvest, Matthew 9, 38. Pray that the Lord of the harvest send laborers out into his harvest. And we make that verse just about souls, but here's a, let me lay a little more truth on you this morning. If he's the Lord of the harvest, is he not then the Lord of all provision? Yeah. If he's the one who's responsible for sending laborers to bring in the grain, if, if, to bring in the harvest of everything that he has planted, how is he not then the Lord of all provision? Well, he is because the Old Testament, he's known as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Remember, everything you read in the New Testament is established in the Old. And everything in the Old is about establishing things that we're going to discover in the New Testament. It's an amazing book. Did you know that he is the Lord of the work of your hands? If you read Colossians 3, 23 and 24, you're going to find that out. He's the Lord of the living and the dead, Romans 14, 9. He's the Lord of all knowledge, John 13, 13. He's the Lord of my heart, 1 Peter 3, 15. He's the Lord of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 7, 21. He's the Lord of lords or Lord of all in Revelation 17, 14, 1 Timothy 6, 25, Revelation 19, 16, Acts 10, 36, and Romans 10, 12. And that's just a few to start with. He's the Lord of everything. So when we're talking about the lordship of Christ, it would be fair for you always to assume that if a pastor or a leader in this church says Jesus is Lord, our assumption, our foregone conclusion would already be that we mean everything. He's Lord over every part. There is no part that he is not Lord of. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Um, he's Lord of it all. And the process of salvation, and I do want you to understand this, salvation is a fixed point in time, but it is also a process. That's why Scripture instructs us to work out our salvation with fear, with trembling. There is something to be worked out in salvation. It is a process for us. Because not everything in our lives immediately just magically or supernaturally falls under the lordship of Jesus. Some of those things have to be boot-stomped into submission. 
There are parts of your life that you are going to have to get up in the morning, you're going to punch it in the face, you're going to tie it up with ropes, you're going to kick it a few times, and you're going to, you're going to throw it under the carpet. You're going to say, stay! And it's going to try, it's like a zombie. It's going to try to get back up. And it's going to say, I don't want to be under lordship. Okay? And it comes and it, it wants to devour your life. That's the old nature. And that's the way it works. That's why scripture tells us to cruci be crucified with Christ. That we have to daily take up our cross and follow him. Scripture speaks to all of these things. It's just when we isolate ourselves to one little point, in this case this morning, of my personal relationship with Jesus, we actually shut the window on everything else around us that tries to speak into our life. Yeah. That's why it doesn't work. Um, so the process of salvation is revealed in all this, and that as we move forward from me and Jesus to the understanding that it's Jesus doing something in we, in all of us, it matures us into the body of Christ. It matures us into the church, and it matures us into the bride of Christ. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If I ever get a tattoo, that's the verse. Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I cannot even begin to express to you the faith and hope that fills my heart at those words. I find them overwhelming personally. Guys, this is the key verse. And if it all holds together in him, why should any of us live singularly as if we somehow hold it together? Why? If he is Lord of all that is, if in him all things hold together, because he is before all things. In other words, he is the Lord of all things. He was before they were, so all things hold together in him. And I think somehow that I'm going to hold things together in me, in broken, pitiful, rejectable me. That I'm somehow going to hold my little piece of this universe together. I'm out of my depth thinking that I can accomplish anything. And I, I'm saying this, and please hear me, I am not setting up the opportunity for an excuse with regard to self-control or any other fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But I think it's worth the risk, at least in my view, to continually encourage you in this way of thinking. That all things are holding together in Him, so stop trying to hold it together yourselves. That does not mean you're allowed to emotionally misbehave. You are still responsible to contain yourself. You're still responsible to put pants on before you come to church, please. Well, Pastor Travis said all things hold together in Jesus, so I just figured I could show up naked. Please, please don't. That's a gross misinterpretation of what I'm trying to tell you. We confuse some of these things. Holding it together in terms of self-control, which the Bible does tell us to do, with trying to hold all the things that all the people are doing all at once and trying to somehow hold that all together. Doesn't work. Um, so, too many people are stuck in this personal revelation issue of Christ, and what it does is it slows the progress of the church. It slows the progress of the church. 
Now, the church will be unstoppable because if God is for it, who's going to be against it? Let me just also point out that it's if God is for us, who can be against us? And you, you won't often hear any of us running around saying, if God is for me, who can be against me? That's true in part, but it'll be far better for you if it's us rather than me. Um, you do have to work out salvation. There's a personal task involved in that. But the benefit he has provided his people is that while you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that you have the opportunity to do that in a community of people who are doing the same, who are doing the same thing, who are living the same challenges, who are negotiating the same obstacles in life. We've often told you at this church, you do not have to do it alone. Nonetheless, I see people all over the churches that I visit, all over the churches that we get to influence and be a part of and work with, where people say, no, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need that. I'm okay. I'm good. Guys, we can see you're not. I can look you in the eye, most of you. I I know most of you well enough that if you will let me look you in the eye, I can tell exactly how your day's going. And I'm just a dumb hick from Grovedale. What do you think smart people see when they look at you? You're not hiding anything. None of us are. I haven't even gotten into the, the reality of how God sees us, and somehow we still think, as Adam and Eve did, that we can hide from him with some fig leaves. Guys, it's, it's we. Christianity, if it were a sport, is a team sport. Okay? It's a team sport. It's a whole body sport. Um, and we can take that sometime and take that whole work it out personally thing and, and really get sidetracked with, our, our, again, our own effort, even though Scripture tells us that we, we're not saved according to our own efforts, and that Galatians tells us that we're foolish when we try to attain a spiritual goal by our human efforts. I mean, the Bible shoots our, our, our own efforts to pieces in many cases. But let me help you understand it. Dallas Willard, who is a great man of God, who is uh, in heaven, uh, said this, and I, I've loved this from the first moment I heard it because I, I found it to be so anointed by the Holy Spirit. But Dallas Willard has always said, grace is not opposed to effort as it is to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Now, why does that matter? You might think of it this way. What you need to do is work hard at all of it. The you stuff, the me stuff, the we stuff, the hard stuff, the easy stuff. You need to work at it. You need to give your best effort for Christ, knowing that your effort is not what gets it done, even though it's what's required. Right. See, effort is required. We were talking with the young adults group on Friday night, and I just kept hearing the Lord speak to me, because we're talking about steps, and we've been talking about trust and fear over the past weeks, and, and this week Jared shared a, a great heartfelt message on wisdom and, and seeking wisdom from people, and you know, the Bible says the Lord orders your steps. And that's wise to acknowledge that that the Lord orders our steps. But what do you do with that? Well, you got to move your feet. All right? The, the Bible doesn't say God picks you up and grabs you by the feet and slams them down in new places. He says things like, wherever you put your feet, I will give you. 
See, for whatever reason, and I, I cannot make a claim to truly understand why God in his omniscience decided to go this way, because I feel like he could have done it a lot easier just doing it all for us. But nonetheless, he has decided that you and I will have an active role in all the things that he does. He will. He, it's what he wants. That's why he prepared good works for us to do beforehand. By the way, that falls into the area of command doing good works as believers in Jesus. So we work hard at it. We give it our best effort for Christ, knowing that our effort is not what gets it done, even though it is what is required. Now, all of this has been shared to get us to the place where we can remember that because He is Lord of all that we are, all that we can see or all that we can know, that there is more to this life than just me. And remember the fiction we've started this message with today, that it's J-M-N-J, just me and Jesus. That's going to be good enough. Can I just come straight at it one more time with you? Consider how many times in Scripture the Bible says, my Lord and Savior, versus our Lord and Savior. Consider it. Think about all the Bible you know, all the Bible you've ever read, and try to come up with an answer. It is largely going to be in favor of our Lord, not my Lord. Now, we need to consider, again, the fact that there, there is a moment of me and Jesus. And there actually are many moments of me and Jesus throughout my life. But they actually all exist to serve the we in Jesus, that we are going to experience together. What good works has God prepared beforehand for you to do for yourself? I can't think of a thing either, Ed. You know that? And I really did think about it. What good work has God prepared beforehand for me to do that serves me? I can't think of anything. I wouldn't need a wife, I wouldn't need kids, I wouldn't need friends. I mean, if God gifted us with good works that way, why would we need anyone? That's not how it works. God has prepared good works for us to do beforehand. Why? So that we could do them for one another. So that someone could bless me and I could bless someone else. So that someone could learn obedience to his voice. So that I could also learn obedience to his voice. Why does Scripture, if it's all about me, address how we treat one another, how we live together, how we worship together, how we read Scripture publicly, read Scripture together, how to encourage one another? Hey, Trav, nice to see you this morning as I look in the mirror. You're looking really good today, buddy. Well, thanks. You look good today, too, man. I really appreciate that. We don't encourage ourselves. I mean, the Bible actually does talk about us building ourselves up in faith. But not by standing in front of a mirror gawking at ourselves, but by praying in the Spirit, Jude 20. The whole of the Bible is a story of God's individual love for each one of us, speaking to all of us as a community to build a community that honors God. The only me and Jesus people don't build much kingdom. The, the, the I can just worship God from home all the time. 
I, will, I, I challenge you. Those folks aren't building a lot of kingdom of God. They're not realizing a lot of kingdom heaven come to earth now. I want to tell you this as well this morning. Worship team, you can come. I'm going to wrap this up. But in my experience as a pastor for the last 23 years and growing up in the church every single Sunday and every single Sunday night for my entire existence before becoming a pastor, uh, here's what I've seen. People who are stuck in the just me and Jesus philosophy do so every time out of fear, pain, anger, or a combination thereof. The just me and Jesus people are hurt. And if you ever get a chance to sit down and talk with someone who is really embedded in this way of thinking, you will not have to listen very long before you will hear about what a church did to them or what a pastor or a leader did or how something didn't work out, a relationship came apart and blew up, and it happened in a church, and they just don't have the heart to go back. So they hide behind. Well, it's just all I need is Jesus. Maybe they're just afraid of other people, and they don't know how to come and be drawn into community. But every single time over all the years I've been serving Jesus in the church, that's the story. And I don't say that to ostracize or even condemn this morning, but rather so that we can remember how much compassion is required for people when they're stuck. Because it's an ideology that has to change in our part of the world. And for what it's worth this morning, if you're there, if you're one of those people, for what it's worth, I'm so sorry. I really am. I'm sorry that you got hurt. I'm sorry that you're so frustrated. I'm sorry that people have wronged you in the body of Christ. I wish it didn't happen, but bad things do happen in church. They do. And you know what? Bad things are going to continue to happen in church because churches are actually filling up with bad people. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing that the church isn't perfect because the whole job of the church is to be built from a group of unholy wretches to folks who look an awful lot more like Jesus every day of their life. That's the game. That's the, that's the role. That's the play. That's the win at the end. I think I'm most sorry, though, that JMNJ actually holds people in isolation and obscurity for so many years after the fact. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body. And so it is with Christ. I tell you what, this week I challenge you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Yes, all of both chapters. Because it is actually one thought. It's 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12 13 is a funny one to me because when, they, when it gets to the end of chapter 12, it says a, it is a sentence. And now I will show you a better way. And then it goes to the next chapter and it talks about love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter in the Bible. But I want you to understand that chapter 12 and chapter 13 are actually one large thought. And it talks about these realities. That we're a body. 
You're a hand. I'm the other hand. You know, and, and we need to understand this analogy because nobody can survive as a part of a body when they have a just me and Jesus attitude. My finger, upon becoming detached from my body, will immediately begin to rot and die. And there is no hope of regeneration for it. There is no hope of healing for it. There is no hope of restoration for it. Why? Because it's no longer attached to the life-giving flow that comes from the rest of the body. Here's an analogy for you. Now, this is going to hurt some of your eyes, but I want you to watch. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever smashed your finger with a thumb or your, your finger with a hammer? Which of you ever, when that happened, your left hand said to your right hand, screw you, I don't want to be here anymore. I just broke this chair. I'm sorry, Jesus. I didn't think that would happen. Here, my left hand, Stephen, look at my left hand. I just want you to look at all my cuts and all my scars. See that? Pretty rough, right? Look at my right hand. Pretty pristine, hey? Anybody else have a left hand and a right hand that are totally different? Yeah, if you work with your hands, you know why. Why is that? Because your strong, your dominant hand holds the tool, and your weak hand is dumb. It holds the part. You know, all the men can say amen to this. Lots of the women can too. I've cut my hand and had to tape my fingers back together twice in the last two weeks, I think. My left hand takes a beating. Man, it takes a beating. It gets destroyed by what? By my right hand. And if I were a left hand, I might have a bit of a just me and Jesus attitude as well. I don't want to be a part of this body because every time I show up to serve, somebody smacks one of my fingers with a big hammer. And that stupid right hand See, what my left hand hasn't done the math on is that my right hand is actually following the orders of the brain. See where I'm going with this? We start to get mad. These things that happen, these pains that come to us in the body of Christ, we begin this hand to look at that hand and say, this isn't right. You hurt me. You're bad. I don't want to hang out with you anymore. I need separation from you. You're not safe for me. When where was the issue? Well, the issue is actually in the communication between the brain and the arm and the elbow and the wrist and all the nerves and all the synapses and all the muscles involved. Guys, it's too simplistic to say I'm hurt, I'm out. It doesn't work. What part of my body do you think it is that bandaged my left hand? Hmm. Well, my right hand. I used my right hand to strengthen my left hand. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 actually talks about that. It says, God honors a certain part of the body because it was, it was weak. It was lacking in an area. And my right hand takes care of my left hand. Why? Because my left hand is actually the weaker hand and it needs the help. It's not less valuable. It's just, it's just used for rougher work sometimes. Guys, the reason God uses the analogy of the body is for this purpose. 
so that we can understand not only that we're a part of the body, but that restoration, hope, life, healing, even salvation itself actually flows from being a part of the whole thing. It's not just enough to say, I'm a hand and detach yourself. If one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Chapter 12 also says. But when that part of the body heals, the whole body rejoices too, doesn't it? So the fact that the church might have hurt you and put you in a place of just me and Jesus, I I need you to hear the hope and the truth today that that same church, that same body of Christ, that same bride of Christ also is the medium by which God wants to bring healing and restoration right back to you. Regeneration can happen in your life if you make yourself to be a part of what God is doing. To accept Christ is to accept His church, to accept His bride, and to accept His body. And I'm not saying that your introduction to life this morning is not or was not personal. My friend Quentin, he, he made a commitment to Jesus just a few weeks ago. I can tell you that moment that we got to stand together right here at the back of this gym... As he said, Jesus, and he said the words. And I love it. Quentin, I love you, man, because I love how hard you thought. You actually struggled with the words, Lord. I'll never forget that, brother. I'll never forget the moment where I watched you, you contemplated, you thought there was actually a battle that was fought and won in his mind in the moment he said, I'm gonna, Jesus is going to be the Lord. What an ex- You guys should be giving a round of applause for this. This is incredible. This gospel is incredible in what it does to us and what it wants to do through us. That moment he had was so amazingly personal. But can I tell you what? If that moment doesn't move from personal to corporate, how much will be lost? Who won't get saved if it stays personal? Who won't get healed if it stays personal? How will kids grow up if it only stays personal? Guys, it has to become about more than you because you're a part of the bride, the church, the body. I want to pray for you real quick. I'm going to turn it over to the worship team. Like always, if you need prayer this morning, we're going to have people, men, women, children, up at the front. If you would like prayer, you come and you get prayer this morning. Maybe you need to start a relationship with God today because you admit you don't have one. You can come up and meet with someone. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to walk you through a step or two to get you started on this journey. If you're sick, if your marriage is in trouble, there is no reason you should come to church and not leave changed by the presence of God. Let me pray for you. We're going to sing one last song. Church isn't over till that song is over. We understand if you have a ham in the oven for some reason today, you've got to run home to it. But let's just give the Lord these last few minutes today to speak to us. Would you stand? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this church, for this people. And Holy Spirit, today I ask that as we take this moment to reflect on truth, as we take a moment to reflect on what you have put in our hearts today, God. Lord, we ask that you would just cut through the the fog and speak so clearly to us today, God.
Lord, as we take this moment just to slow everything down, would you speak to us? Lord, I invite you to put your finger on the parts of hearts in this room today and online that just, just need that tweak, that need that little push to, to go from personal to so much more. Holy Spirit, speak to us in these moments. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.